Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is a skinwalker? We were just talking about that. Are we literally part of the land we live on? What do First Nations people believe about an afterlife? Hello and welcome to the 913th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube, and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those diverse questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And uh, today we bring you an open line show. With no, we don't. Oh. Who writes these scripts anyway? Uh, it's, I don't know. We, right, uh, we'll so, it's it not, so it's not an open line show, but we do bring you a very fascinating look at a subject that is rarely talked about. Erica Elliott, MD, is board certified in both family practice and environmental medicine and has a busy practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. During her childhood, Erica moved with her family from one part of the world to another because of her father's work. She began her schooling in England, graduated from high school in Germany, and then studied art in Florence, Italy, before returning to the United States to attend college. Erica came to medicine later than most medical students after pursuing other careers and interests, including teaching grade school and sheep herding on the Navajo or Diné Reservation, uh, mountain climbing in the Andes while serving in the Peace Corps in South America, teaching outward bound students, wilderness survival in the Rocky Mountains, studying spiritual practices, and, of course, traveling. She graduated from the University of Colorado Medical School and completed her residency in family practice in Denver. Among Erica's many experiences and adventures, she worked as a teacher and a doctor for the Navajo Nation in Arizona, where she had some amazing spiritual encounters. The book... Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert, My Life Among the Navajo People. So, Dr. Erica Elliott, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. Oh, well, hey, it's, it's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a good show. I'm, I'm, I'm excited personally, and I guess, you know, we can kinda just start right from the very beginning. Uh, so tell us how you came to connect with the Navajo people in their land, and about sure. the mountain lion incident that you talk about in your book. Yeah, I love that. So, I'll start with the backstory, because I went to the Navajo Reservation years later to serve as a medical doctor, but originally I came as a school teacher. So 50 years ago, after I graduated from college with a teaching certificate, I saw a job opening in the middle of nowhere near a place called Canyon de Chez out in the Wild West. (laughs) I was more of an East Coast type person. And so when I got there, I I couldn't relate to anything. It was so foreign to me. The land was foreign. Uh, Even though it was gorgeous, I hadn't trained my eyes to realize how absolutely stunningly beautiful it was. And I had no training, no orientation in Navajo culture. The the correct word, by the way, is Diné. It's a respectful term, but I use the term Navajo because that's what we all called uh, Navajo people, and they called themselves that back in those days. <clears throat> so uh, I could not make contact with my students. They didn't look at me. They didn't talk to me. I I was just bewildered. And I talked to the white teachers there, and they had no connection with the students, and I could tell that they weren't really fond of them. 
I, it was so frustrating. These are fourth grade students. They range in age from 9 to 15, depending on how much time they spent away herding sheep. And finally, my teacher aide saw how much I wanted badly to understand her people and connect with them. And she she was assimilated in both white and her own culture because she lived on army bases. Her father was a very, very famous co-talker in World War II, mm. and co-talkers used the Navajo language, and, and that's it. They just used it creatively. It wasn't even a code because it's such a difficult language. It was the only code that was never broken in World War II. And so her father, Carl Gorman, was one of the famous co-talkers. So she she said, would you like to learn about my people? And I said, yes. And so she helped me understand why they didn't look at me, why the students didn't talk to me. It was because they were showing respect to me and they were terribly shy. And so she... Um, oriented me to the culture it was so foreign to me uh, but I was terribly interested because I really wanted to do my job properly and so she said you know you'll you'll make a difference if you could learn some Navajo she said it is one of the most difficult languages in the world but if you if you start to learn they, they will respond to you they're used to white teachers not having any interest in them and so I did. I started learning Navajo, and I'm really gifted for languages because I moved all over the world. I already was multilingual. But I'll tell you, the Navajo language is like nothing I'd ever encountered in my life. It was so extremely difficult. But anyway, so so she <clears throat> taught me how to say, good morning, my children. My name is Erica Elliott. What's your name, and where do you come from? And so I practiced and practiced and practiced making those very weird sounds that don't even exist in English. You can't even write them down because there's no letters that represent the glottal stops and the shushing sound and the clicking sound. So uh, I didn't have like a dictionary to look at or anything like that back in those days. And so finally, after much of the night practicing in the mirror, I showed up at the class the next day and said, And everybody looked up at once in total shock. And it was the first time we made eye contact. And they all burst out laughing. And that was the beginning of a total love affair between me and the students. Uh, they wanted so much for me to learn about their lives that even though they could barely speak English in the fourth grade, yeah, I thought, how can you get to the fourth grade and not speak English? It was, I think, because they felt that they, teachers didn't really care about them, and they used books that were ridiculous, like Dick and Jane, that had nothing to do with their lives. <laughs> and so, so anyway... Um, they, they learned English so fast, it was that at the end of the year, three of them won a speech, a regional speech contest. That, that's hard to believe, but it's wow. true. I have newspaper clippings to prove it. So, the, <clears throat> the most brave boy in the whole class who spoke the most English, Billy Begay, came up to me and said, 
take me home. And I said, what? He said, take me home. I said, you mean check you out at the boarding school? And he said, oh, which means yes. And I, I, I said, uh, you mean this weekend? He said, oh, you mean and take you to 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 your home in Canyon de Chez? Oh, so I looked at Donna. I said, am I allowed to do that? And she said, yes, they would love it. So that became a tradition. Every weekend I checked out a different student and I took my four-wheel drive or we went on horseback to these remote, remote Hogans, the, the houses where they live in the middle of nowhere. That's why they had to go to boarding school. And they were families that didn't speak any English. So I had to really learn Navajo to have conversations with these people. And the more Navajo I learned, the more they opened up about their lives and they they invited me to ceremonies that are off limits to white people. They treated me just like I was one of them. They shared all their traditions and customs with me, including about skinwalkers and and so forth. And chindi, that means ghost walkers. And um, I was... <clears throat> adopted, so to speak, by a couple families, one of which uh, was a member of the Native American church. That's the Peyote Church, which was completely illegal for white people to, to attend that in that era. And I experienced things that I, I didn't know how to explain at all. It defied my logical mind. And, in fact, it was so far from the reality I grew up in that I never told anybody about these experiences because I thought they'd think I made it up. But I did record everything religiously in my diary because I knew that I wanted to remember this the rest of my life. And it took me 50 years to write this book called Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert, My Life Among the Navajo People, which you could find on Amazon. It's It's... A very fast read it because is. I think it's very gripping, and because you'll you'll you all take you into a world that you you didn't know existed. So before I tell you what happened in um, my first peyote experience, do, do you have any questions up until now, Ben or Paul? Uh, let's see. I, I I have a feeling that we we may not be able to get a ton of questions, and maybe we should go to Peter's questions. Well, why why don't we talk, hear about the first peyote experience first, though? That's a good point. Okay, yeah, yeah let's let's hop okay, right into ahead, that. <laughs> okay, so what happened is my Navajo mother, um, she said I had to get rid of white man's clothes to go to the ceremony, and I had to dress in total Navajo regalia with the velvet blouse, the satin skirt, the woven sash band, the co silver concha belt, the squash blossom neck, necklace, and the earrings and so forth. I mean, I, I look like I was ready to go to the prom. It was so <laughs> regal. <laughs> so, and I, I was really scared because I was, was going to take plant plant-based medicine, that's what they called it, med the medicine, which was hallucinogenic. So I, I was really scared, and I didn't know what in the world I was getting myself into. I was 23 years old, and my Navajo mother sat next to me, and she said not to worry. She did speak English, broken English, and she said she'd tell me what to do and so forth. 
So I went in there, and in, it was in a teepee. Now, Navos don't live in teepees. That's the Plains Indians. But they borrowed the peyote religion from the Plains Indians. This is not their native religion. Their native religion is completely different. It's run by Khatale, which is medicine man, men, and so forth. That's their ancient tradition that goes back hundreds of years. This was adopted since the 1800s. The Plains Indians used it to deal with their total misery, their oppression, the, the genocide that was happening in their tribe. That's how they coped with the peyote ceremonies through prayer and um, having visions and so forth. So when I sat there, um, the peyote came around in three different forms, in a tea, in a powder in the button, and and it was very very bitter to me. And and my Navo grand my Navo mother warned me. She said you might vomit, and that's the evil coming out. And so I I, I dry heaved, but I didn't want to vomit because I didn't want people to know that they might interpret that I was evil. <laughs> so and so I did everything in my power not to vomit. And but it did taste horrible to me. And and um, so they prayed all night, and they're very fervent, and they're crying and calling out to Jesus. I you know that I did hear the word Jesus. <laughs> there were a few English words, and uh, but not much. And it, part of the ceremony involved taking sacred tobacco that they harvested from a sacred mountain that's now a ski area, but. Anyway, and you breathe in the smoke, and you exhale, and then you you say a prayer. And so, um, when it when my Navajo grandmother did it, it came around to her. Then, when she said she passed it to me, and she said pass it on, and I didn't pass it on. I held it, smoked it, exhaled it. And then started praying in Navajo, praying in Navajo. I, I mean, I barely spoke Navajo at that at that time. That was early on when I was there, when I could just say a few conversational things, and that's it. I mean, I hadn't really learned it well by then, and maybe I knew uh, fifty words, and that's it. And uh, but I was praying prayers, a prayer that I'd never heard before. I, and I thought to myself while I was praying, I thought, this this can't be happening. Wow, I think this is part of the plant medicine. They make you think something's real. This is a big hallucination, but it's more real than real life. And I, and everybody was looking at me, too. <laughs> wow. And then, so, uh, then I passed it on. And then the next thing that happened... Uh, is the water drum. It's a drum, um, a metal container with water in it and a hide, an animal hide stretched on top, and it gives a very uh, mystical sound. And then people take it, drum, and then they sing sacred songs. And again, the the mother um, said, um, pass it on. I didn't pass it on. I held the water drum and... It would boom, 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 boom. And I sang a peyote song I'd never heard before. How is that possible? Hey, nay, young, hey, hey, no, hey, hey, 
ain't no way, hey, hey, hi, hey, long. I, I, I just thought, wow, this peyote is amazing. I mean, I'm having a major hallucination that that I'm I'm singing in Navajo. That that can't be. And so, so I passed it on, and then, um, and then I, at one point, I looked at my finger, and there there was a ring on my finger, and I hallucinated that it was a wedding ring, and. I thought, oh, my God, I'm married, and I don't even know who I'm married to. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and, um, and then I thought to myself, no, no one's ever, ever going to believe this experience. And I looked up, and the, the road man, that's the equivalent of the medicine man who runs a ceremony, he looked over at me. And everybody was smiling in the thing, the, the, smiling. And I, I hadn't said anything out loud. This was my thoughts. And he smiled at me when I thought, oh, my God, I, no one's ever going to believe any of this. And he said out loud, responding to my pure thoughts, he said, no, they won't. You don't have to tell them. And I thought, oh, my God, he, 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 he's reading my thoughts. I, my mind was completely blown. I was a little 23-year-old, and I didn't have the tools to understand what what the hell was going on. How could this possibly be happening? And so at the end, when it was the sun up, we, we filed out, and we um, we put our forehead on the ground, and we blessed ourselves with our eagle feather fans, and we went into the neighboring cinder block house where some of the women had stayed up all night making breakfast. We There was a big sheet on the floor, and we sat down, and there was mutton stew and fry bread and canned peaches. And the medicine, the road man started talking to me nonstop in Navajo. By the way, the, the plant medicine had long ago worn off. And I, I didn't know what he was talking about, and he's looking right at me, and everybody in the room was looking right at me. And I, I, I said after a while of him just talking nonstop to me and Navo, I said, um, excuse me, uh, you, you know, I, I don't speak Navajo. And everybody burst out laughing. And then the roadman said, you sure talked up a storm last night. <laughs> so I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that was one of quite a few very weird things that happened to me. There's another one with spontaneous healing that happened to me that to this day is totally mind-blowing. So is there, are there any questions before I dive into that story, which is even more amazing than the other story? Well, we have a question from uh, Peter in Bogota, Colombia, who's one of our uh, guest co-hosts, and uh, I think what you just said kind of leads right into it. Uh, relatively speaking. Uh, so he... He, this is we're gonna we're it might be a wee bit well it's a wee bit off topic but also kind of on topic so it kind of plays both sides of that coin right what are the alleged paranormal powers of a skinwalker and do you think such powers are induced by drugs or is there something uh, going on that science cannot explain 
and your own skinwalker experience might be relevant here, Erica. Okay, although that that um, interrupts the flow of the peyote experience, but I, I, I can diverge and then go back to the peyote. Okay. Um, the, the, okay, so how the skinwalker subject came up in my classroom is, again, the students desperately wanted me to know about their life. That's why they learned English so fast. It's amazing how love can be so transformative mm -hmm. in somebody's life, in my life and the student's life. It, um, so anyway, so here's what happened. I naively explored Canyon de Chez by myself, and that was in the days where you you weren't uh, you didn't have to have a guide and anybody could go there and explore. So I really explored and I knew how to rock climb and stuff like that. And so I climbed up into a cave using tiny toeholds from the Anasazi people. Those are the ancient ones that lived in caves in Canyon de Chez. So I I managed through my rock climbing skills to get way up there into the cave and I saw a pile of rocks in there and it looked like somebody had piled up those rocks on purpose and I'm a very very curious person I guess you might have already concluded that <laughs> and I, I wanted to know what was under those rocks like I said I was extremely naive and I unpiled those rocks one by one and to my shock there was a skeleton of a woman, and it was probably an Anasazi from like 1400 or 1200 or something A.D., and she had some jewelry on her. She had uh, yucca fiber sandals on her and a basket, a woven basket, and I just stared at her. I said a little prayer, and I, I knew that I had I, – I better – put everything back exactly the way it was. And um, so the next day, which is Monday, I came to my class, and in my deep ignorance and excitement, I told the students what I saw. And they were really upset. They, they have such a strong belief in chindi, that's ghost spirits, that uh, of their ancestors, and that you never disrupt that kind of thing. You you stay way away from death and uh, people are buried and stuff like that because you could get ghost sickness. Chindi is is they also use that as a curse word. Chindi means um, thing, but it, but the literal term is a ghost a ghost spirit. Uh, you got to kind of watch the uh, language there because we're uh, FCC regulated here. Oh, excuse me. Okay, sorry. Okay, so so anyway, um, <clears throat> so they taught me the whole class, that whole uh, half of day, was them educating me in skinwalkers, in chindi, ghost spirits, and so forth. And they said that um, that I needed to have a ceremony so I wouldn't get ghost sickness. Because what I did was really bad in their culture, extremely bad. They were so worried about me. So I agreed to 
get a medicine man, hire a medicine man to do a little ceremony to protect me from ghost sickness. And I, I asked, um, when they talked about skinwalkers, I asked about how you become a skinwalker. And they said the worst thing you can do in Navajo culture is to kill a relative. There's no worse crime on earth for them than that. And after you do that, you have a choice to um, um, make amends or more likely you're kicked out of the tribe and you um, you become a skinwalker and you do bad things to other people. And especially people who are trying to get ahead in life, like back then 50 years ago, which is very different from now, you, people who tried to get ahead, like, like white people are always trying to get ahead. They're being, they want to be richer, smarter, um, more credentialed, have a bigger house than every. In Navajo culture, your community is the most important thing and getting ahead is, is not high on the agenda. In fact, it makes you stick out and be vulnerable to witchcraft. And so the witchcraft is performed by skinwalkers. And every single student in my class says that they've had, they had contact with skinwalkers unintentional. And I asked them, uh, if I was in danger because I lived on the first floor of a government, um, apartment and, uh, could they come get me? And one little boy, who is very wise, said, no, they're not interested in you, you, but you just have to stay out of their way. They're not interested in white people, Bilagana. They don't care. And um, I, I said, I said why, why aren't they interested in white people? And what he said was profound. He said, because white people don't believe in it. <laughs> I thought, Wow, isn't that interesting that he has so much insight, this little boy. So I had my first contact with a skinwalker when I uh, went down into Canyon de Shea at night. They, My kids said, never go into Canyon de Shea at night. It's full of skinwalkers and chindi, ghost spirits and stuff. And th- there was some Mormon students who are learning how to be teachers there are four of them i think three or four and i promised to take them to the canyon they came knocking on my apartment door and saying you know we're leaving tomorrow we still haven't gone into the canyon can you take us tonight it's a full moon i said no no uh and they begged me they said you know we we been looking forward to this for we don't want to go back without having gone into Canyon de Chez. so they talked me into it against my better judgment and so as we're walking down this very long trail to, to the bottom of the canyon they, they were chatting and I kept saying don't talk so loud and they said why I said because I don't know why just it just I feel it's dangerous somehow. I don't know really why. And they, they, they didn't pay much attention. But suddenly one of them said, look over there. And it was across the canyon to the other side. 
and there was a cave that I, I knew about that cave way up high. And I, I could never get there because the toeholds weren't big enough. There was a big tailless slope and then these toeholds and then you get up there. And, and there was a fire in there. And I said, oh my God. I, they, they said, oh, it's probably just campers, right? Camping in the cave. I said, no. No camper can get up there. And plus it's illegal to camp in the, ca- in the canyon. Uh, with by white people and and so I, I I was just mesmerized by it and the, the girls didn't seem to be phased at all and then I saw a shadow on the back of the wall a very distorted shadow and it was dance the figure that made the shadow was dancing and I said oh my god they're having a ceremony down there and so the girls um, really now this caught their attention. And so we, we were just watching, and then suddenly it, everything went dark. And um, the fire was out, and there was no sound. No, it was very still. And and we, we just stood there and waited, and suddenly... At the Hogan, a little ways away, I, I knew that Hogan, a grandmother lived there, and she had sheep, and the sheep suddenly went berserk, and the dogs went berserk, and I said, you know, we have to be really quiet, Something, something's going on down there, and so the girls, the girls were now really starting to get afraid, and then as we were looking, we saw this figure loping on the bottom of the canyon, and it it, it looked like a huge dog, and um, k- kind of loping, and not all the way on all fours, but bent over, and half naked, and with a skin, and I, I said... Oh my God, it's a skinwalker. We have to get out of here. And so now they were terrified, the girls, and we ran up, <clears throat> we ran up the um, path so fast and, and got in the car and, and drove home and I let the girls off and then I couldn't sleep. I had so much adrenaline going that there's no way I could sleep. So I went to the public school where there was a teacher I was friends with, a guy. And um, and he he was upgrading papers, and I said, "Can I talk to you about something?" And he said, "Sure, come on in." And and I told him the story, and he said something that really hurt my feelings. It's a something. It's a, a response I, I got all the time because I had such an unusual life. He he said, "You have a good imagination, Erica." I I was so offended. I said, "You oh you know okay." Let's let's prove if I have a good imagination or not. I don't think I have a good imagination. Let's go there, and I'll show you. Uh, you know, I was scared to death, but I, I not being believed was so hurtful to me that I, I was willing to overcome my fear. So he said, sure, I'd like to go. So we went. It was the middle of the night now, and uh, we went to the trailhead. We, we hiked down. We didn't see anything up in the cave. It was all dark. And and he was very dubious about the whole thing. And 
And so uh, we we crossed the bottom through the cornfields crunching. And then he I stayed there. I wasn't going to go up the talus slope t- towards the cave. So I stayed in the cornfields. And he... He, 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 he kind of slipped on the talus a little bit and then he heard a noise in the cave. I said, did you hear that? And he said, oh yeah, it's probably a mountain lion. I said, there are no mountain lions here. None. They, they, they're none in the canyon. No mountain lions. And, and he, he, he just said, oh, I'm going to keep going up. And he took the next step and then this booming voice and I, I'm not allowed to say it because FCC regulated what he said. But it was something, an expletive, very powerful. It says, get the out of here, white boy, now. And he almost fell over backward. And uh, we ran so fast with our backs arched as though somebody was going to come grab us. We ran up that three-mile trail so fast to the car and then I was pleased that he now believed my story and I to this day I have no idea how that guy got up in that cave I'm a rock climber and I couldn't get up in that cave so that that was pretty weird Erica we're going to take our break now and uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM 99.5 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with Dr. Erica Elliott in just a moment. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And we're back. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON AM and FM radio. And we are speaking today with Dr. Erica Elliott about her amazing experiences on the Navajo with the Navajo people. And uh, you wanted to uh, sort of circle back, Erica, to the peyote experiences. Yeah, I'd like to tell you about a miracle, I guess, because I call a miracle anything amazing that I can't explain. You know, maybe some scientist could explain what I experienced, but I couldn't, so I called it a miracle. And... Um, so I had this mass on the right side under my jaw, and it was growing, and it was really hard. I was not a doctor then, and I didn't have any medical knowledge at all. And so, but I knew knew this was growing, and like so many of my patients now, tried to ignore it and think it would go away by itself, but it kept getting bigger. And in fact, one of my students said, Elliot, you have goiter, because goiters were common because of iodine deficiency, so it's enlarged thyroid. Mine was not an enlarged thyroid, it was an isolated lymph node under my jaw. But, but the fact that she said that really, I realized, oh my god, I'm gonna have to do something about this. And like my patients, I was, I was scared of doctors. But I forced myself to drive 
for over an hour to the nearest charity hospital called Sage Memorial Hospital. And, um, and I, I, uh, went in there and it was, um, scary for me. Everything's very sterile and, and so forth. Had a bad smell of disinfectants. I saw the internist and he said, this looks really bad. It looks like it's lymphoma. It looks like you have a cancer. And we're going to need to biopsy, but I, I'm afraid the news won't be good. And um, he said, uh, why don't you schedule an appointment for the biopsy? And in my young way of looking at things, I thought, I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can and find another way to deal with this. So who would think I'd end up being a medical doctor after this kind of behavior? So anyway, so I told my teacher aide, Donna Scott, and she said, oh, there are medicine men who can help you with that. You could have a ceremony, a traditional Navajo ceremony. So she told me the name of a medicine man and how to find him. And you'll get a kick out of the instructions how to find him. It was basically crossing the arroyo and then turning right at a juniper and then going a few yards and they'll see a few bushes of chamisa and then turn left and then uh, in other words it was impossible i was so lost that i'm not used to those kind of instructions and but i finally found him and he was a very nice man and and he said that He'd love to help me, but that's not his, it wasn't his specialty. So he gave me the name of a Hopi medicine man on the Hopi reservation and how to find him. So I spent a whole day driving to the Hopi reservation and trying to find this medicine man whom I finally found herding sheep. And to my dismay, he also said it was not his specialty. So I told my Navajo family that adopted me about about what had happened. And they said, oh, don't worry. You don't need to worry about this. We'll take care of it. We'll put on a peyote ceremony. But peyote ceremonies are expensive by Navajo standards. It means you have to butcher sheep to feed everybody. So that's that's a lot of money that take a sheep from their herd. And you have to pay the roadman. And so how they afforded it is they combined my my healing ceremony with a baby that was very very sick. So so they they prayed all night and sang and I I sort of forgot that it was for me. I mean half the ceremony was for me. I was noticing the baby the whole time and noticing how that feverish copper colored red face and the fussiness was getting better and better. And the, finally the baby started gurgling and looking at the mother and started looking like it was not sick anymore. And I, I was astounded by that. And uh, again, forgetting about my situation. At the end of the ceremony, we did our usual thing. We, we, we prayed and sang all night. And then when some came up, we did our usual thing, go out and bless ourselves with the rays of the sun and touch our, the earth and then go have break fast. We break the fast. And 
uh, again, we sat on the floor on a sheet and had the mutton stew and fry bread and so forth. And everybody was staring at me. I, I mean, everybody it was staring at me and had a, a half smile on their face. I, 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 I didn't know what in the world, why they were doing that. And then suddenly I remembered and my hand flew up to my, under my right jaw and the mass was gone, gone, gone. And to this day, this is 50 years later, I still find myself fiddling under my jaw to make sure it's still gone after 50 years. It was just unbelievable. It was gone overnight. So yeah, that's my story. And if, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. But we got to make time for the mountain lion story. Yeah, well, why did we do that? That <clears throat> the mountain well, lion. Very quickly, you wanna you wanna tell us about your 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 books, where people where people can find out more about you. And, yes, and uh, we, anything anything else you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working. Okay, this book is called Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert: My Life Among the Navajo People, and I did come back as a medical doctor to treat them many years later, and that's a whole story too. But it's in the book, and you can get it on Amazon. It's, it was originally self-published, but it did so well that a publishing company reached out to me to republish it. It's Bear and Company. The subsidiary is Inner Traditions. And the new version, which isn't really new, it's the same thing, is November 9th. And I'm working on Memoir 2. I'm finishing it up right now. It's called From Mountains to Medicine, My Search for Purpose. And that's about my time in the Peace Corps and being the first American woman to climb the highest mountain in the Western Hemisphere, and a peak was named after me down there, and how <laughs> I I used it to to help me um, deal with the grandmother's prophecy, which I'm going to tell you about right now. And so, Memoir 3, by the way, which I haven't started, will be all about my experience in medicine, both mainstream and when I left mainstream to do my own version of medicine, which is way, way more meaningful and and helpful and in alignment with my soul. It, and you can find, I blog, and I, I have, um, the blogs are excerpts from the memoir, and they're also medical posts that people who don't even know me have found extremely useful, because it's stuff that you won't learn from your regular doctor. So that um, um, blog site is musings, Memoir and Medicine, Musings with an S, and it's all one word, musingsmemoirandmedicine.com. And if you click on the medical part, you'll find some extremely useful blog posts. Um, I do it as a public service uh, to the, all those people who can't see me because my medical practice has been closed for five years because ever since I left ma- mainstream medicine, I've been overwhelmed with patients from all over the country and even Europe looking for a proper diagnosis of looking for help because they haven't been able to find help in the mainstream. They've been misdiagnosed, mistreated, overdrugged, um, mm. and, and still feel bad. So about the mountain lion, which has influenced what happened related to that the rest of my life, I, I took one weekend to explore and not take a kid home to their home and spend the weekend with them. I drove off by myself into the middle of nowhere in southern Utah 
I followed a, a road, a, an abandoned road for 40 miles with not not a sign of human uh, activity or, or habitation or anything in the middle of nowhere. And it was just gorgeous. I, I'm a nature girl, and I was in absolute bliss with all these red rock formations. It, it was like being in another world. I, I was ecstatic. And... Um, it, it was a full moon, as, as usual, when all these weird things happen. And I lay my sleeping bag when it was nighttime on, on a slab of red rock with a, just a thin pad underneath it, no tent, because, again, I love full contact with nature. I, I was had no shoes on and sometimes no clothes on because I felt safe. Nobody was there. And, I mean, the nearest habitation was uh, 50 miles away. And so... Um, then in the night, I had a very vivid dream. It was so vivid, it felt real. And in in the dream, I was helping corral the billy goats so they wouldn't impregnate uh, the uh, goats at the wrong time. And and they all, all the billy goats had a very strong hormonal smell called pheromones very strong very strong and i smelt it so powerfully it overwhelmed me and and i thought oh oh my god this this smell is like so real and and i'm i'm in a dream and then i realized i'm not in a dream and i'm actually awake and i feel the the rock underneath me and I hear a sniffing sound right up close, and I open my eyes, and right next to my face, like two inches, is the face of a mountain lion. I can see his tawny fur, his black whiskers, and he's sniffing me. And I, I was so terrified that I was paralyzed with fear, and that's what saved me. I didn't move. And, and mountain lions are interested in things that move. And so, but I, I was scared to death. And so I, I, I barely breathed until the sun came up. And then I, I opened my eyes and of course nothing was there. And you can't see tracks on the, the red rock. But, but I knew it happened. And then when I stuffed my sleeping bag, this odor wafted up my nose and it made the hair stand up on my forearms it was the smell of the mountain lion it was a male mountain lion because the males have like the goats they have this very strong smell and so i knew it was a male that was sniffing me so uh, this just galvanized me I, I i i became obsessed about mountain lions and why didn't he kill me why why did this happen to me? And, of course, I had the rational explanations by biologists. You know, he didn't kill me because I didn't move and and so forth. But I, I drove to Gallup two hours away to go to the, books, book, to the library to read everything I could about mountain lions. And then I told one of the teacher aides about the story. So she invited me to go into the canyon with her to talk to her grandmother and see what her grandmother would say about my encounter because the teacher aide said, this is very significant. 
what happened to you? You need to talk to my grandmother. She'll tell you why this happened. So this was when I still was learning Navajo. So so the teacher had, had to translate, you know, 90% of what the grandmother said. But I wrote everything she said in my diary, word for word. I mean, the way it was translated. And the grandmother said, the mountain lion has come to you to give you his strength, courage, and strength, courage, and perseverance. He is your spirit guide. It's very important that he came to you. And you will face some very, very life-threatening challenges in your life, which, which I did, two of them. And but at that time, I didn't know what she's talking about. And she said, if you survive, if you survive, you will have powerful medicine to give to the people. And so I wrote that down and then forgot about it. But I never forgot the part where I would be facing these challenges and I might not survive. So so a lot of the mountaineering was not for glory like my male companions in the climbing club they're all male they they let me in i don't know why because i'm an american and i guess i'm not a typical woman or something like that i don't know but anyway so um so i did it to train myself to get be strong in mind and body for whatever these big challenges were and actually her prophecy came true completely to the letter and I did survive thanks to all the strength, mental and physical strength that I had developed. And it did help me become a better doctor. It's what made me leave mainstream medicine to practice because my disaster forced me off the path of mainstream medicine and forced me onto my real purpose in life, which is really to make a difference in people's health, to not just give them pills. In fact, I'll leave you with a funny thing, a funny name. The Navajo people's word for white doctors is a zechini, which means he who gives out pills. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's wow. poignant if, any, if, I've, if I've ever heard it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, we are just about out of time. Uh, Erica, would you give your website one more time, maybe your blog site, too? Yeah, it's www.musingsmemoirandmedicine.com. My website is sort of, I don't maintain it because I'm, I I'm not accepting new patients, but you can go read about me. It's ericaelliotmd.com, E-R-I-C-A-E-L-L. IOTTMD.com and, and again, it hasn't been maintained for quite a while, but you'll learn, you'll learn some things about me that might, you might find interesting and useful. Hmm. Very good. Okay, well, thank you for a fascinating conversation. We'll be in touch off the air and, uh, <clears throat> we'll, uh, be talking to you then. Indeed. Okay. okay. So let's get to our announcements there, Ben. Yes, we have plenty of them, uh, and I guess we'll start off this Tuesday, September 21st. My dad will present a program on UFOs, cryptids, and ghosts via Zoom to Mainline MUFON in Philadelphia. And you can check out Mainline MUFON, M-U-F-O-N.com. Now, again, that is uh, not an in-person presentation. It's virtual, so if you're in 
Australia, Zimbabwe, or Lapland, you can participate if you have the Internet connection. So uh, MainlineMoveOn.com. On Friday, October 8th, I'll present a paranormal overview at a somewhat unlikely venue, uh, the Arizona Dowsers Conference at the Little America Hotel in Flagstaff. Visit DowsersSouthwest.com for more information. And this is an in-person event, as far as I know. Uh, that's the plan. And on Thursday, October 21st at 7 p.m., I'll be back at the Haverhill Public Library in Haverhill, Massachusetts, to present on Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. This is scheduled to be an in-person event, too, but stay tuned. And we'll present once again at the Western Connecticut UFO Conference uh, during the last week of October this year. On Sunday the 24th, we'll do a live simulcast with the conference, and this will be an open-line show format uh, with Kathleen Martin taking uh, questions from conference participants and our global audience on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case, of which uh, 2021 is the 60th anniversary. Uh, on the following Saturday, COVID variants permitting, we'll present live at the Danbury, Connecticut Public Library uh, to wrap up the conference. Other presenters that week will include Mark D'Antonio, Tom Reed, uh, Michael Schratt, Linda Zimmerman, and Mike Panicello from Connecticut MUFON. You know, it's interesting. I talked with uh, Kathleen Marden this morning, and she said, uh, you know, th- this is really kind of the, the anniversary, so we're going to be a little bit late discussing it, but there will be a great venue to do that, and the people really... Uh, enjoyed it last year when we had Bill Burns, uh, also one of our co-hosts. So uh, <clears throat> we look forward to that. All right, so after years of tech problems, all regular recorded radio broadcasts of Behind the Paranormal from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON AM and FM have been restored in the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com, our show site. Also fully restored are the Return to Rendlesham series from 2010 to 2011 on CBS Radio, all related shows, along with the Achieve Radio monthly two-hour specials from 2009, uh, still working, uh, we're getting there, but still working on restoring other special shows, podcasts, and interviews, but that will be done very soon. Baby steps. Yes. Uh, also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Yes, and uh, in, in addition, our show has its own app now. Uh, it's it's pretty bare bones, uh, but it's free, which is the important part. And uh, right now, it is it is just most of our past shows, uh, but we plan to add more features as we go. Um, it should be in the Apple and Google online stores soon, you know, because we got to go through all these hoops. And, it's unbelievable. Uh, yes, but if you if you cannot wait, uh, there is a link at behindtheparanormal.com if you'd like to download it now. Yeah, right on the uh, front page there. Uh, check out our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us along with some of our 900-plus free recorded shows now restored as mentioned. Uh, also, NewEnglandGhosts.com is our main site. Uh, it is hopelessly in need of redesign. That is being done. But you can still see a lot of interesting uh, photographs and case studies there. Indeed. And you can also check out uh, on our website the many charities that we have on there. We have several good causes we've adopted on the show. Um, now we have added a new charity, which is Hope for Hill T- Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, run by a good friend of ours, Tom Spitaleri. It uh, does a great job. Um, you know, a lot of these, it, for anybody who lives in New England, one of the staples 
of New England is old cemeteries, and nobody really keeps them up. So, you know, Tom does a great job keeping up the Hilldale Cemetery, and it's, uh, honestly, it's, it's a great cause, uh, as well as USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Orphans Youth Mentoring Connections in, Connecticut, in, Connecticut, in, in Los Angeles, uh, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, Sisterhood of Ground Zero, along with the Milk Fund here in Northern Rhode Island. So what do you have next week, Ben? Well, next week, uh, that's September 26th, we'll welcome the one and only Adam Go rightly uh, for a look at the at how to separate UFO reality from mythology that uh, used to manipulate us. Okay, I guess we don't have time for our quote, but sure we do. We do. All right. Uh, it's a thought from uh, essayist and parliamentarian, uh, 18th century British of Irish birth, Edmund Burke. Among a people who are generally corrupt, liberty cannot long exist. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.